Welcome to issue number two of Inside the Blended Workshop. Deep Dive, Developing Meaningful, Efficient Reading and Writing Conferences. If I could keep only one instructional practice, the one with the most bang for my buck, the one that makes the biggest difference in my relationships with students, the one that teaches them the most, it would be one-on-one conferring. And yet, as I look at the school year ahead, this seems to be the practice least naturally suited to a pandemic. I'm teaching my students face-to-face for now, but six feet apart, through masks and face shields. I can't scoot over to them. I can't lean over their shoulders. They can't amble over to my desk, but we have to confer. And you may not be seeing your students at all except through a computer screen, but we have to confer. We have to confer. Here are some ideas that might help us. Number one, explicitly teach students how to confer and then shift the conferring weight to them. When we're spending our days in Zoom meetings, we no longer have the casual luxury of slowly circling the room and popping in to have a word or two with students as they read or write. Our conferences need to have a sharp focus now, and we can teach our students how to direct it. In a brief mini lesson, teach students that conferences have one of three purposes, to get help, to practice a strategy, or to get feedback. Each conference should have one focus, not can you look at my paper or let me give you a summary of the entire book. I've created a graphic for kids to put in their digital notebooks, a very brief guide to having a reading or writing conference with me. In the newsletter, you can download it for your students. It's called Get Ready to Chat, and here are the questions it lists for reading conferences. Where do you need help? Where are you stuck or just trudging through? Where, what have you been thinking about as you're reading? What are you interested in right now? Be prepared to try a strategy or share a place where you've tried a strategy. And here are the questions for writing conferences. What are you trying to do as a writer in this piece? What are you trying to do as a writer right now? Where have you tried a strategy or writing move? Where are you stuck? Where do you need help? And where do you just need another set of eyes? Head to the newsletter to download this for your students. I teach students to use these questions to direct our conference. Just one of these questions. I also tell them that at times I may request a conference with them but it will always be guided by one of these questions or tasks in the graphic. Triage live conferences. A great thing about using this chart to direct our conversations is that it also helps me naturally triage conferences. At the beginning of a class period where I know students will be practicing their reading or writing, I have students complete a Google form indicating the kind of conference they need. You can head to the newsletter to make a copy of this conference form and use it for yourself in your own classroom. At a quick glance, I can triage the conferences and put them in a loose order according to need. This will direct the order in which I confer when face-to-face or how I schedule conferences when I'm remote. Here's the order. 
Number one, first, I meet with students who are stuck, who have problems, or who have a concrete question, because these are fast. I might also identify these students through a mini lesson entrance ticket, which I'm going to talk about later in this newsletter. The second group of students I conference with are students who are lacking purpose in writing or are lacking ideas or thinking or points of interest in their reading. Number three, I conference with students who need to or want to practice a strategy or show me a writing move. And then last, I confer with students who need broader feedback on a section of writing. I never confer on a whole draft or students who want to chat about their bigger thinking around a book. Notice that I'm doing critical problem-solving conferences and quick-fix conferences first so that those students can begin to work. I'm saving those longer conversations for later, perhaps even after school, after class, or at a later scheduled time when I can give those more attention. I can also use this form to group students with similar concerns into small groups to confer in groups of three or four at a time. Use a variety of conferring tools. Not all students need a live conference though. Some conferences can take place asynchronously and be very effective. That's why you'll notice the first question on the conference form is, do you need to chat with me live? If students don't need a live conference, I still want to talk to them about their work, but we can use other tools. Here's some ideas. Have students tag you in comments in their Google Doc. Ask students to use the same guiding questions from the Get Ready to Chat graphic to add comments and questions in their Google Doc. If students tag you in that comment, by using at and your email address, it will send a notification to your email so you know who needs to talk. You can even open that comment and reply directly in the email. Both you and your students can communicate on your own timetable. You can also add the Moat Chrome extension to add audio comments in Google Docs the same way you would add text comments. Another idea is to try Voxer. Voxer is a free walkie-talkie app that works through your phone or through the web. You and your students can leave voice memos back and forth. I use this constantly with different teacher friends and collaborators, and it is the number one communication tool Allison and I use when we're working together. Sometimes talking it out is even easier than leaving comments. Using Voxer, students can hear your voice as you both work through the issues in a paper. Finally, investigate Cami. Cami is another brilliant extension that enables you to leave text, voice, and even video comments and annotations on any document. Our friend Kristen wrote about it on the Moving Writers blog, and you can find a link in the newsletter. Give students responsibility for recording conference notes and then use them yourself. Students are more likely to process, remember, and use what you discuss in a conference if they record the conference notes. Brilliantly, Sarah M. Zerwin has digitized this in Pointless, an English teacher's guide to more meaningful grading by Heinemann. Not only so that students own the responsibility of conference outcomes, but also to provide her own conference notes. 
She grabs the notes students submit from the doc and uses them to fill her gradebook notes section so that all stakeholders can see what was discussed. You've got to read her book. I've set this form that I'm sharing with you below so that students receive a copy in their email upon completion and they can refer to it at any time. No more, I can't remember what we talked about or what am I supposed to do again? You can get this form for your students and make a copy to use in your own classroom in the newsletter. How can we keep track of all these forms though? Well, I pin them to the top of my Google Classroom resources frequently used forms, but you could also make a page on your class website just for frequently used forms. After a week or two of practice, students are going to know how to use each of these and when to go grab one for themselves. With a digital tweak or two, conferences can continue and we can do them even more efficiently. For more on what makes a good reading or writing conference anytime, check out my two favorite books on this topic, Carl Anderson's A Teacher's Guide to Writing Conferences and Jen Saravalo's A Teacher's Guide to Reading Conferences. Both are available through Heinemann. Using mini lesson entrance tickets to assess understanding. In the August newsletter, I talked about why I'm flipping mini lessons from here on out, whether my class is face-to-face -face or virtual. But without puzzling over YouTube analytics, I do need to know if my students watch the video lesson I assign. And more important than that, I need to know what they understand and what they don't. We get a surprising amount of information just by kid watching in class and looking at students' faces during a mini lesson, so we need efficient digital ways to accomplish the same thing. If I assign the lesson as homework, the entrance ticket that I'm including in the newsletter will be the first thing students do when they arrive in class. I'm gonna learn a lot by seeing what they remember the next day rather than having them complete this as they watch the lesson at home. If I give students class time to watch the recorded lesson, they will complete the form after they finished the video. You can head to the newsletter to download and make a copy of a writing lesson entrance ticket and a reading lesson entrance ticket I use to digitally collect information for my students. The first few times we do this this year, I'm going to model good answers and less effective answers as I complete the form myself. I dread receiving a C of to be a better writer or to write good on the form. If students submit vague or completely irrelevant responses, then I know to bump that kid to the top of my conferring docket. There are buttons in the newsletter that are going to give you access to my entrance ticket forms. Please make a copy for yourself before editing and sharing with your students. Beautiful sentences to start the year. About a year ago, Book Riot published 50 beautiful sentences from young adult novels. And I've been saving it in my inbox all this time because I'm just a sucker for a good sentence. In fact, I would argue that we can teach students almost everything about good writing from serious, intentional sentence study. 
You can find links to these sentences and links to more about procedures and routines for sentence study in the newsletter. But here's one way to introduce sentence study at the very beginning of the year. Split students into groups in breakout rooms and then allow each group to choose one of the sentences from the Book Riot article. Every group should choose a different sentence. Ask them to look not at the content of the sentence, but how it's put together. What makes it interesting? What makes you say, ooh, when you read it? What sounds lovely in your ear? What's unusual? Do you see any patterns at play? Encourage students to notice multiple features using the guiding questions above and to zoom in and get microscopic. Look at the word choice, the word order, the punctuation, anything and everything. Ask groups to name the features they notice. They need not and probably should not be literary terms. Just ask them to give that feature a name that describes what they are seeing. Each group can create a post on a Padlet wall that includes the sentence, a list of features that make it stand out. You can also ask each group to post a sentence study slide that's included in the newsletter that reflects this information. Then do some sharing, share out by asking each group to make a case for why their sentence is the best of the best. Now, of course, you can extend this thinking by asking each student to choose another sentence from the Padlet wall and use those writerly moves to compose their own sentence inspired by the mentor text. There are a lot of great advantages to this simple activity. For starters, in just a few minutes of class time, you have started your students down the road of reading like a writer, the most foundational writing skill you can teach them. And remember, when we're reading like writers, we're, we are reading deeply like thoughtful, analytical readers too. So this kind of work doubles your instructional power by strengthening reading and writing skills at the same time. I would compile these features into a class list at the end, a digital anchor chart of ways writers compose great sentences, and this can kick off your writing year. If your students don't fit into the young adult category, just do a quick search for best sentences from children's books and grab some sentences to use. Younger students do this work just as well and often with more creativity and risk-taking than our big kids. To help your students organize their thinking, I've included a digital organizer that can go straight into their digital notebook. You can use it again and again all year long for sentence study work that's going to boost the level of their writing. Student Technology Survey. Even though I'm starting the year face-to-face, -face, but at a distance with my students, I still need to get a better idea of what technology they're working with at home for all the inevitable pivots and changes that I know are probably going to follow. So to help me plan in advance for what my students will and will not be able to do on their own at home, I'm giving them a quick survey about their home technology access. You can too, head to the newsletter and you can make a copy of my survey 
edit it as you please and share it with your students to help you plan for what's coming down the road. A writing unit for grades six through 12. Getting to know students with Sunday routine from the New York Times. My beginning of the year get to know one another writing piece this year is going to be a Sunday routine piece a la the New York Times. I really only have three simple goals with this first piece of writing. Number one, to get to know students and help them get to know one another. Number two, to see a piece of diagnostic writing to help me plan. And three, to teach students to read like writers and use a mentor text for inspiration and guidance. To that end, my mini lessons will be few. Sure, I could use this unit to teach all kinds of grammar skills and writerly moves, and you could too later in the year, but I need to keep the main thing the main thing right now, setting the tone and building community. If you head to the newsletter, you can find a link to the whole Sunday routine series in the New York Times, as well as the three specific Sunday routine pieces I'm going to be using this year as my mentor texts. They are How the Central Park Barber Spends His Sundays, How a New Yorker Cartoonist Spends Her Sundays, and How a Dance Video Director Spends His Sundays. You could also invite students to select one on their own to study to invite even more choice and autonomy if your students are ready for it. I'm including a very loose unit map in the newsletter. Please feel free to take it and make it your own. My vision here is for students to interview one another and write the Sunday routine piece about a classmate. I'm going to make the partners. Here's my really loose nine-day plan. On day one, we're going to look at one mentor text together and think about what we notice. I'm going to model first and do a little I go, and then we'll do some we go as I invite students to contribute. On day two, we're going to look at the other two mentor texts. Mentor text number two, we will read through and share our noticings as a whole group in a we go. And then with mentor text number three, I'm hoping they'll be a little bit more ready to go on their own. And so we'll do that as a think pair share with a partner. By the end of day two, we're going to have a master list of class noticings, which are going to guide students into what to include in their pieces. On day three, we're going to use mentor text to develop interview questions. Um, we'll go in small groups first and then share out. On day four, students will meet their partner and interview them using those questions we've developed by closely reading and making inferences in the mentor text. Day five and six are gonna be just time for drafting and conferring. On day seven, students will continue to draft and confer, but I'm also going to guide them through looking for gaps in their interviews. What's, what's still missing? What do we still wanna know? And they can conduct follow-up interviews to fill in the gaps. On day eight, we'll think about presentational elements. Kids love this, choosing images and fonts and formatting to make theirs look just like the New York Times. They'll do some final drafting and conferring. And then on day nine, we will publish and share and celebrate in some way. Now, when I say day, that might look different for you. I'm teaching my students four days a week for 45 minutes each day. 
So day is a really loose term that more accurately means chunk of time. Please head to the newsletter and feel free to make a copy of my unit map and make it your own. A K through five writing unit. Bet you didn't know with National Geographic Kids. I adore this unit idea because it can be used for anything. As a wrap up to your science unit or your social studies unit or your novel study. It can be adapted up or down for student age and ability. It can be digital. It can be on paper. My son, who's five, and I did this last spring when he became fascinated by bees. Naturally, his English teacher mentor text obsessed mother said, you know, I think I know something we could write about what you've learned. And so here's what we made using Canva. It's an infographic, which is four cool facts about bees. Now, let's be honest. We worked on this together. We were sitting side by side with an iPad. And I only had one five-year-old in my quote-unquote class to work with. But he was able to choose a picture that revealed something he found fascinating about bees. He was able to choose the color scheme. He chose the look of the numbers. And he could tell me the facts he wanted me to type. Each time we typed a fact, he typed the word bees because that's the word he wanted to learn to write. We did fewer facts than the mentor text. We used four facts and they use usually like six, seven, or eight um, because he's, well, five years old and his attention span is five years old. But we did this little writing project in less than 30 minutes and he felt so proud as he held his own work up to the National Geographic Kids mentor text. I am including a link to the National Geographic Kids website because they put a free Bet You Didn't Know feature up on their website each month. You could go grab that. Or head to your library with your phone and take a picture of the Bet You Didn't Know feature in the print magazine each month. I bet your school library has it. And if not, I know your public library does. You can see one of the National Geographic images from the magazine in the newsletter as well as my son's version about bees and a link to even more on their website. In this unit, here are some skills you might teach depending on your students' needs. Researching and selecting a bet-you-didn't-know fact versus any old fact. Fact variety. The mentor text uses some numerical facts and some non-numerical facts. Paraphrasing facts in a single sentence. Selecting an image to complement your ideas. If your kids are ready for some punctuation, you could teach them how to use semicolons, dashes, and lists to combine facts into larger ideas. And using simple presentational elements like arrows or the color scheme to visually connect ideas for readers. Folks, the Q&A section of our little newsletter is moving. You can now expect a special edition Q&A newsletter each month toward the middle of the month. And don't forget that our first live Q&A meeting will be coming up in October. Stay tuned for a date and time. And don't worry, it'll be recorded so you can catch it later if you can't make it live.
I hope this content has been helpful for you in making your classroom a happier, saner, more joyful place to do reading and writing workshop. If it's been helpful, please share with friends and colleagues so they can join our community too. You can share inside the blended workshop through a button in the newsletter. And if you're a member, you can join our Facebook community. We hope to see you there.